Hi, and welcome to NASIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Matt Pincus here in Washington, D.C. Today, we'll be speaking with another NASIO 2020 award-winning project. We've really enjoyed highlighting our NASIO award winners, who are doing some incredible and innovative work across the country. Lisa Kistler is the director of the Paid Family and Medical Leave Division for the Washington State Employment Security Department. We're talking with Lisa about their project, Building the Nation's First Built-From-Scratch Paid Family and Medical Leave Program. Lisa, welcome to NASIO Voices. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I loved reading about this project, and I'm excited to talk with you about it. But first, let's start with the basics. Tell us about the Paid Family and Medical Leave Program in Washington, how it works, who is eligible, and how it's funded. So Paid Family and Medical Leave in Washington State uh, was the first of its kind in the nation. We were the fifth state in the country to implement paid family leave and the first to implement uh, paid family leave and paid medical leave at the same time. It's primarily focused on supporting people who need to take time off for a serious health condition or to take care of a family member with a serious health condition. And it also is allowing new parents to take time off for bonding after birth or placement of a child. Mm -hmm. So the program also includes, was the first in the country to include a provision for military exigency, which just means that if you need to attend an event for a military spouse or support someone, you know, your family's transition after a move um, or other events that impact military families specifically, the program also could apply. Anyone who works in Washington for more than 820 hours in the last five calendar quarters before they apply for benefits, which I know is a little complicated. But um, basically, if you've worked 16 hours a week, roughly for the last year, uh, you're likely eligible for the program. The program's funded in part by employers and in part by employees. Uh, And employers who are smaller than 50, so they have less than 50 employees, they do not have to pay the employer portion of the premiums, which is what funds the program. And then also in Washington State, if an employer has already provided equivalent benefits to their employees, they can apply to be excluded from the program because they're already providing those benefits to their employees. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that's great. So I believe from the time this program was signed into law to the implementation was just about 30 months. Can you talk a little bit about the timeline and how you were able to get the program up and running so quickly? Yeah, so it was aggressive, 30 months (laughs) from the time that the bill was signed to when benefits needed to be available, and it went by very fast. Uh, And during that time, we had to build a technology platform, we had to establish um, a benefits trust, so a trust fund to pay benefits out of, and we did that through premium collection from employers. We had to create an operational and customer support team, and we had to by the time uh, January 1st of 2020 rolled around, be ready to pay out benefits. How we did that was, I would say in large part, we can attribute our ability to move that fast to adopting an agile mindset. The team started with the understanding that we had no idea how we're going to do this or what it needed to look like. This wasn't a legacy replacement where 
We have an established business process. We can't go gather requirements from business subject matter experts. They don't exist. So, <laughs> um, and that wasn't just a technology thing that applied to everything that we had to do. Uh, we had to do iterative planning because we didn't really know everything that we had to do. And we didn't have time to spend a year planning for what we had to do because a year after, <laughs> roughly a year after the bill was signed, we had to start collecting premiums hmm. uh, or about 18 months. So pretty much we started doing the work on day one. We did a few months of planning and had to get into a lot of implementation activities very quickly. And the fact that we started from the assumption that we needed to be agile, we need to be responsive to discovery as we went, that allowed us to, to move as fast as we could. And also, when we discovered things that we hadn't thought of, we had the ability to respond to those things. It's fantastic and, and definitely a, a credit to you and your team. And one of the things that, that Amy and I noticed in your award submission was stressing the importance of culture over strategy in getting a project like this done. Can you talk about that? Yeah, this is actually one of my favorite things to talk about with this Perfect. <laughs> so uh, in my experience on major projects, frequently, you know, there's a great plan. There's a lot of detailed requirements. People have really thought through everything they can think to think through, which is all great and would work great if everything went to plan, but it almost never does. So when we started out, we tried not to just focus our energy on thinking about what work we needed to get done, but also we talked about the work environment that needed to exist to get the work that we needed to get done, get it done well, get it done fast, and to be able to progress work whether or not we had a clear plan, because we knew we weren't going to be able to have a clear plan all the time. So early on, the, the folks that started the implementation, I was one of those people, we had a lot of conversations about how do we want the team to behave? How do we want it to feel to work on this program and on this project? And what condition do we need to have so that every person on the team can contribute their highest and best work, right? What, mm -hmm. what could we do to make it so that every person on the team could contribute as much as possible? Because we can't have eight managers figure this all out, right? We have to have the 150 or 200 people that are working on this all kind of put their collective brain power to figuring this out, which really leads us down the road of thinking about mindset and thinking about organizational culture. How do you want people to behave? Because that behavior is kind of what pushes you through when you encounter hurdles, which is inevitably going to happen. And I like to think that that happens on every project, no matter how big or how small. So starting with a team that's motivated thinking about how we want to think about customers, thinking about how we want to treat each other became the things that kind of pushed us through the hard parts of implementing something like this, for sure. So this kind of program sounds really amazing. And I, I wish that it was available to everyone in every state. But unfortunately, it seems like it's a heavy lift for a lot of states. Maybe that's politically or pushback from businesses or citizens and funding, but how important was executive sponsorship and leadership and support from the legislature in making this happen? Absolutely critical. I mean, the paid family medical leave law originally passed in Washington state in 2007 without the appropriate funding mechanism. Mm -hmm. uh, so it never 
it never went anywhere. And in 2017 was when the law passed with a funding mechanism to support it. And that's really what made it able to get off the ground. I think a lot of states that number, um, which for Washington was uh, an $82 million loan Mm -hmm. from the legislature, that seems scary. But we were able to pay that loan back within the first year and a half after we started collecting benefits. Just one quarter's worth of premiums covered that amount. Wow. Um, And then some, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we had a couple more quarters to collect premiums for the purposes of paying out benefits. The executive sponsorship through the implementation of the program is also really critical. So there's the part of, you know, getting the law passed and, and making sure that part of having a great state to work and live and retire in is about having the right benefits to support um, the workers in Washington state. Um, And that's really important. But also what's really important is making sure that, you know, when we started this, we had the support from agency leadership, from the governor's office, from the legislature to be focused on just this, to have the funding mechanism to support what we needed to do as quickly as possible and to get any roadblocks that we needed out of our way. Yeah, that's great. I imagine that is incredibly important. So you mentioned that the program was implemented in January of 2020, just before those first cases of COVID-19 were reported in Washington state, one of the first states in the country. Has the program been utilized in ways that you couldn't have anticipated with the pandemic? Yeah, since the pandemic, we we shifted to all remote work just a three months into the program's inception, the benefits being live. It was somewhat disruptive, but claim volumes have really stayed pretty consistent throughout the year and went up slightly towards the end of 2020, and they've continued to kind of gradually increase. Hmm. I wouldn't say that we've seen anything really unexpected, but of course, COVID has changed everyone's lives in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to think that the benefits we paid out in 2020 really made a difference for a lot of people. And certainly, well, I don't know everyone's circumstances who took advantage of benefits in 2020. Certainly, it must have made a meaningful impact for a lot of people. And I can't imagine that there's any more critical time to have implemented a program like this. Yeah, that it certainly would have made a positive impact, I'm sure for a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So on, on that same train of thought, you know, what has been the impact of the program so far, I guess? Are there any statistics you can point to, Lisa? Sure. So in 2020, we paid out $613 million in benefits wow. to 98,000 people. Wow. And of course, uh, like I mentioned, like at no more critical time to have put $600 million into the state's economy and into people's pockets during the pandemic certainly for sure um, would have had a huge impact. I think, you know, we hear lots of stories, we hear stories every day about, you know, how it's making an impact for individuals and you know, I think there's the scenario we all know about, right? You had a baby and you get to take time off to to be with your baby, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that I think aren't as like prevalent for people about this program, like we hear about parents who have to take time off because they're child has had a cancer diagnosis or has been diagnosed with diabetes and they have to figure out how to kind of deal with that treatment protocol. We've got, you know, people who are taking time off to care for elderly parents, um, people who are taking time off because they have a cancer diagnosis and they need to get treatment for that. 
people who have maybe put off surgeries for years because they can't take time off work and are now able to do that. So we know that statistically speaking, there's a huge impact on Washington State, but also the impact for people personally is really kind of what keeps us coming to work every day, right? Yeah. For sure. You can't measure that, right? You can't quantify that in, in a exactly. statistic, but certainly true. And this program, you know, allows folks to focus on those real world decisions and know that there is someone looking out for them. So that's fantastic. Um, before we get to our less serious questions, can you tell our listeners where they can learn more about the program? Yeah, I would encourage people to go to paidleave.wa.gov. And all the information about the program is there for employers and employees. And we also have a legislative report that was published for the first time in 2020. That's there. So if you want to learn more about what happened in the first year of the program, that covers that as well. Fantastic. We will uh, make sure to put a link in the show notes for this episode. Yeah. Okay, Lisa. Well, here on Nasio Voices, we like to recognize that we are all more than the work that we do. So we'd like to ask you a couple of fun questions about your life outside of work in a segment we call the lightning round. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So we, Nasio, we are planning our annual fall conference later this year uh, as things sort of get back to normal a little bit. The conference will be in Seattle. So though you are in Olympia, I presume, what is your favorite thing about Washington State? I am in Olympia. So my favorite thing about Washington State, I would say, is just how diverse the ecosystem is in Washington State. So, Mm. and you might hear this from a lot of Washingtonians, but you can easily get to the ocean, the rainforest, the mountains, the desert, if you want to go over the mountains, (laughs) you know, being out in the woods. And our cities are really surrounded with that. So um, if you're in Seattle, you can drive a half hour outside of Seattle and get to the rainforest, for example, Um, or to the Puget Sound, which is right in the middle of Seattle and see whales and things like that. So Washington has just an amazing diverse ecosystem. And so um, I think a lot of people who like outdoors activities are kind of gravitate here and the the weather's pretty mild. Yeah, my favorite thing about Washington. That's great. Yeah, it's such an amazing state. And we're, we're very excited to get out there later this year. (laughs) All right, what's something that you hope to do in 2021 that you didn't get to do in 2020? So I had a trip to Hawaii, my first time going to Hawaii planned in 2020, and I did not get to go. Mm. And I've postponed my trip twice. So fingers (laughs) crossed, I get to go to Hawaii in August. So yes, that'd be great. How long is the flight to Hawaii from Washington State? I want to say it's like five and a half hours. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's not super bad. Yeah. All right. And then last question, do you prefer working from home or being in the office? So I, I'm in, I think I'm an in the office person. I think when I can go back into the office, I'm probably going to go back into the office. I love a whiteboard (laughs) and uh, I did buy a whiteboard and have one in my office at home, but, um, but I'm like, you know, I like seeing people's faces and I like, uh, being able to like, you know, just be surrounded by the work we're doing. Um, and uh, I definitely look forward to when I can be back in the office. I'm probably not the majority, though. I think there's a lot of people who have really found that working from home works really well for them. I would just want the option to be able to go into the office, you know, yeah. like, give me give me the flexibility. Yes. Yeah. 
great. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us about the project. Um, you know, our awards program is all about highlighting the good work of state government technology and on behalf of the citizens of your states. So we're certainly happy to be able to do that on our podcast as well. So thank you so much again. We really appreciate yeah, it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great talking with you. Thanks. Yeah, you too. Thanks again for listening to Nasio Voices. Did you know you can subscribe to Nasio Voices on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? That way you never miss an episode. Plus, you can listen to us in double speed if you'd like. Mm. Our executive director and friend of the pod, Doug Robinson, likes to listen to Nasio Voices when he walks his dogs. In fact, most of our listeners are listening on their mobile devices. So go ahead and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.